Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word-of-mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the show today is Amos Goldrick from Amos Goldrick Architecture, a residential practice based in London. Amos and I have been working together since 2016, so I was really excited to get him on the podcast to talk about some of the marketing strategies he's been testing and seeing success from in the last few years. In this episode, we discuss the guerrilla marketing tactics that have helped Amos to convert some great projects, including setting up a stall at his local farmer's market, joining mums and dads groups on Facebook, and setting up an online consultation model that's had over 100 bookings during the COVID lockdowns. We also looked at how Amos is creating content that's designed to help break down the barriers between architects and the general public, such as a welcome pack to help set expectations using clear and friendly language, and a recent short film about his studio to help build trust with potential clients. We looked at why Amos believes it's important to take risks with your marketing, go outside your comfort zone, and how he's benefited from business marketing and public speaking coaching in recent years. And finally, we looked at a feasibility service Amos has designed for potential clients that helps them to get a feel for what it's like to work with the practice and the value that an architect offers before committing to the full process. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amos Goldrick from Amos Goldrick Architecture. Amos, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. I think long overdue. How long have we been working together? So full disclosure for the audience, Amos and I have been working together for a few years. How, how long do you think it's been? Six, seven years, maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know. Yeah. I think, well, maybe worth mentioning that we've never met in the real world. I hope we will meet one day. But yeah, I, I can't remember where we met, but probably on LinkedIn or something. There we go. So we'll just treat you like a normal guest now. So we have to start off with the sort of the general kind of intro of the practice and I guess talking about what, what your studio does, how many of you there are, just a little bit about the studio so that we can get a bit of a background. Okay. So we're based in London. We are currently six people, including myself. So there are four architects, myself and a studio manager. We Primarily work on private residential, so flats and houses, but we also try to do other projects, kind of define them as sort of social projects or charitable work. 
So a few years ago, we completed a shelter for victims of domestic violence in Israel, and we're trying to do similar similar projects in, in the UK. And our aim is really, we want to change people's lives in, in a positive way through our designs and, and, and architecture. Yeah, interesting. And we'll spend, we'll spend a, bit, a fair bit of time looking at, I guess, some of the different types of work and how the practice is kind of positioned. I'm interested in looking, you know, we said earlier, several sort of years we've known each other and I'm kind of interested in getting your view on that period of time or and even longer since you started the practice, how you've sort of seen the growth and development of the studio over time. Have there been key moments where something big has happened that's led to new projects or led to new exposure? Or is it more difficult to kind of pinpoint where those moments were and it's just been a more gradual or incremental thing over those years? That's a very good question. I, I think you can definitely identify certain milestones. I think definitely meeting you was was probably a one milestone. I think the start of the practice was was a result of, of various things. It was an outcome of me being let go from the last practice I worked for, which was with, with a friend. It was during the crash of 2008-9. That sort of coincided with some personal issues. So the start of the practice was kind of a, a default outcome because I needed some flexibility in my life. And at first I had no kind of idea who I am, what I am, what, what this studio should be. It was just me. I had no clue about marketing and I just tried various things that kind of worked for friends and then it didn't work for me. And the beginning was, was kind of hard. Initially I was working from our kitchen table then I was hot desking at a friend's office. And then a friend kind of joined part-time to kind of help out. And that's when things kind of started to, to move forward. A big milestone has been kind of meeting a, a friend of a friend who, I mean, we met for kind of 10 minutes. I gave my, my card and a month later, Someone called and said, oh, I'm, I'm a friend of, of this person. Um, I need help with my house. And this, this acquaintance was a, a catalyst for, for a lot of projects. He's very kind of well connected and he kind of introduced me to his network. And it's like a seed that was planted. And I'm still seeing kind of different branches from, from, from that seed. And it's always funny. There's always six degrees of separation between some of our clients and, and this particular contact, there's always someone that, that knows him. So that certainly has been a big sort of milestone and it, it pushed, pushed the studio forward and some good projects came, came, came out of it. I guess the, the next milestone was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say that it was kind of a, a, around meeting, meeting you and just being, I guess, exposed to this whole idea of digital marketing and the benefits of it. I'm also taking the business side of architecture quite seriously. So I have a, a personal coach. So it is, it is an avenue that I'm spending a lot of time on and certainly seeing the fruits of it. Yeah. And that's always interesting that as the practice has grown over the years, you've always seen, seems like you've always gone out and sought out new skills and learning new things, whether that's business coaching, public speaking, marketing coaching, all these different variety of things. Has that been a really important part of getting you to where you are now with the practice is always that 
needing to sort of learn those new skills to get to that next level? It has been, yes, both on the level of the the studio itself, but on on a personal level as well. So I've been, I guess, trying things that are outside of my comfort zone. So for instance, I hated public speaking and it's something that really affected me physically by stress and kind of my stomach kind of flipping and, and sweats and stuff. So I decided to do something about it. So I registered with a course on public speaking, which changed my whole kind of attitude towards it on a, on a kind of personal and sort of emotional level. And I think as architects, we're always evolving. There's always new things that A, you need to sort of know about, about the changes in, in the industry, but also we're not, there's a lot of skills that I don't think we are necessarily taught at or taught at, at, at uni. One of them is kind of business skills. Some people are born with it. I was certainly not born with it. So I don't know how I survived in the beginning, but I kind of managed to. So I've learned a lot over the past sort of three years. It's been a huge learning curve. In, in both of those areas of business and public speaking or communication, what, what were some of the takeaways that you applied to your practice that you use on a regular basis? We did an, I did an exercise through the kind of the business coaching following a book by Simon Sinek about defining your why. And that really helped to kind of really define why we do what we do. And, and this sort of then feeds into the ultimate kind of goal. And then you kind of work backwards and, and try it. So I think I see ourselves as, first of all, I don't think we're, sort of signature architects. We don't have a prescribed style. I, I think we tend to adapt ourselves to to our clients' needs. I think there's this, certainly in the public eye, a lot of certainly kind of private clients don't necessarily know what architects do. They are exposed to architects through the various grand design programs and kind of magazines and sometimes architects might appear to be living in these sort of ivory towers and and I'm certainly not like that and it was important for me and for for the studio to to kind of reflect that so we do adapt ourselves to our clients we see ourselves as sort of facilitators we also we don't work for our clients we work with them so every client that joins is really joins the team. So we don't ask them to do drawings or models, although some of them do and, and do send us sketches and stuff. But but ultimately we're designing with them and we're designing their their home. It's it's not our home. So so they they, they become a really key component in, in this whole sort of journey. So I think going through that sort of marketing journey and business journey really allowed me to to just focus on all, all these things or, or prioritize and, and really understand what is our, our, our purpose in, in, this, in this journey. Yeah. And in terms of the ideal kind of clients that fit into that picture, it's when you have that idea of this is what our role is as architects and a clearer sort of understanding of that, then does that make it easier for you to then think about that? Who is that client that really needs to, that, that fits with that or does it sort of clarify your thinking about who you're looking to market to or with as well? 
Yes, it certainly has helped. I mean, predominantly, I think our client is sort of young young families. I think most of them are really new in into this whole architectural engagement. So I think our role really is also often educator. I think you and I we we went through this sort of process of thinking about how well how how would our website reflect that and at some point we changed the whole tone of the website to to target more of, of those particular clients so we took away all the architect ar- architectural jargon and and kind of used simple and kind of lovey lovey lingo or, or words which takes away this this sort of barrier that sometimes you have between how how architects present themselves and how they talk and 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 with 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 their with their clients but and and it makes makes it all a lot more personal accessible and this is how you also build trust with people and we've had comments from from clients saying that our website is is actually a lot friendlier and clearer than than maybe some some of our competitors we we discussed earlier kind of milestones. One milestone was really pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and really putting myself in in the public. So before lockdown, I put up a market stall in our local food market. So this is a food market where people spend about twenty pounds on a hundred grams of cheese. So so that's that, that's the kind of uh, clientele. And I was inspired by a guy in America who, in 2008, he was an architect, and 2008, he lost his job. I think he was in Boston. And he put up a market stall, and he called it Five Cent Architecture. And people came, paid five cents into a, a tin kind of bucket, and were, were allowed to ask any question about architecture. And he was on CNN, he was on NBC, he was a huge sort of media star. And out of that, he, he established a, a studio. I think he, he called the studio Five Cent Architecture. And I, that probably wasn't, wasn't a very good move because I, I don't think it lasted very long. But that always inspired me. And I was, for a long time, I wanted to try it out, but I was a bit scared and... Didn't know if it would work or not, but then I decided to just try it out. So we printed kind of boards with projects. A friend gave me a gazebo. I I bought a cheap table and chairs. And I was in the market twice. I did it for charity. The first time was interesting. I allowed people to sign up in advance and I got seven sort of appointments, but nothing developed from it because I think people came, got what they wanted and sort of went off. I did follow up with emails, but it didn't didn't convert. Then I tried it again. No one signed up and I was a bit frustrated and almost didn't show up. Uh, I was also very cold Sunday morning, but luckily I did. I gave away probably 40 brochures. And the following day, I got six phone calls and converted three of them into live projects. And this is just a proof that, I mean, you, you can look at it at, at various levels. A, it's a brilliant marketing opportunity. And there's this term called guerrilla marketing where you do something out of the ordinary. And it was literally that. People 
came to, to the market to buy food and suddenly seen an architect and it was like, oh, what's going on here? So they were interested and just grabbed uh, the brochure. There was a, a guy that came and thought that I, that, I, that I was selling houses because I had the construction cost on, on the posters. So I, I got various visitors, including local architects who were a bit kind of snobbish about, about the whole thing. But then you're really engaging with your, A, your local community, community, so people know about you, but you're really engaging directly with potential clients. And the fact that I converted six of the inquiries into live project just, just shows the power of it. And then kind of COVID started and the, the default, I guess, migration from this physical market store, which we called it a design surgery, was to do it online. So within the first couple of weeks of COVID and the big lockdown that we had here in London, I started this online, basically an online market stall, kind of gazebo, it's called a design surgery. I continued to do it as a, as a charitable event. So we offered half an hour of our time. And in the meantime, raising money at that time for the NHS, this online co- consultancy still operates and now we're raising money for for homeless people so it's kind of a win-win we we contribute back to to society or to our community but also helping people and we're not excluding anyone anyone can sign up even if your question is about what color should i paint my wall or can i can i move the toilet from this corner to the to the other corner but then sometimes you get kind of real real projects so this marketing and sort of business exercise has been really powerful. And, and you can also see it as a way of building trust because we're offering, we're really at, at, at the level of our kind of community and, and, and potential clients. So during kind of the first, first and second lockdown, we probably, I mean, it was mad in the beginning. We had, Everyone was staying, staying at home, thinking about their houses or flats and thinking what they can do. And I think on average, we had maybe five chats a week. So perhaps over a couple of months, I mean, there were probably close to 100. It was extremely time consuming and very tiring, but that resulted in about 10 projects. I think anybody listening to that story would be first thing many architects would be thinking would be you know a hundred bookings in a in a month. I mean, how did how did you possibly make that happen? So I think it's worth maybe touching on maybe some of the different ways that you put it out there, and in particular things like social media and how do you kind of get the word out about those sorts of things. So on on that particular thing, we used kind of Google ads and Facebook ads. So I did all of a sudden I got inquiries through. Facebook Messenger, which was really weird. So beside the ads, I mean, I did film myself, which was which was a, a struggle because you are the cameraman and the director and everything. So I had to take, I had to do a lot of takes, and it was just a short video of me announcing this event, the farmers market, and so on. And then this was posted on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. There's a Another great avenue to worth exploring to our listeners is on Facebook, there's all these uh, pages of mums and dads. So if you just type 
mums and dads, London or Melbourne or wherever, you can sign up to them. And some of them do allow you to advertise your business. But also a good trick is to search those pages for the word architect, because a lot of people would post questions on it. Oh, can you recommend an architect? And we certainly got one project like that where someone asked that, that question. I immediately kind of raised my virtual hand to say, yes, us, 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 please, please choose us. Luckily, a friend of mine was part of that group as well, and they gave a recommendation. And then that led to those clients inviting us. And that was one of our kind of recent, quite successful projects. So yeah, so I think the bottom line is whether you love or hate social media, it is a great tool and it can bring you work. It's, it's interesting listening to you describe all of these different facets to your, to your marketing, Amos, because it's like you've tried your hand at so many different things, lots of experimentation, lots of testing, every channel available. You, you've done something on everything, it feels like, listening to you describe it. And, you know, from me and knowing a bit more behind the scenes as well. And each of those has generated a live project or two. But it's just funny listening to it because it's such a different approach to maybe the typical studio where they just hope that Instagram will be the one thing they can hang their hat on or something like that. You've been very successful on Instagram and you've still done all of these other things, which I think is testament to you need to experiment widely when it comes to online marketing, right? You can't just do one thing and go, oh, I've, I only feel like I've got time for that one thing. So that should work. You know, you've, you're kind of exploring all these different options. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on that. Yes, it's very interesting. And I think this whole kind of medium or these avenues, it, it is about experimenting various approaches and uses. And I think the challenge for maybe for people is maybe just taking those slight risks. I mean, it's not it's not a real risk. You just need to try things. And if and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it, it is it is about trying various things. I mean, recently we tried a new avenue where one of the key challenges that we have as architects is managing client expectations. This is something which is extremely important from my own experience. It's about communication and listening and, and really keeping clients up to date and really kind of managing that sort of expectations because clients might come and hire you with already some expectations which they got through TV programs. A lot of them speak to friends who've used an architect and they they kind of develop a sort of an expected experience. So we recently commissioned a video of presenting us and who we are, again, working on that sort of personal building trust and report. So it was all filmed in the office. The whole team is in the video. We all kind of share our ideas of what architecture means to us. And then the final segment of, of the video were kind of two video testimonials of, of two clients with, with a kind of a slideshow of their project. It's just been sort of released out in the open and we're waiting to see how, how that's going to be accepted. But this is something that 
we're using either to attract new clients or if if we get a lead, we kind of send a link to that video and it's it's a way of the client to get to know us on a on a more personal level and, and also meet the team because it's important for me that clients know that yes, my name is on on the studio name and it is it is a brand, but it's not just me. There's a whole team and an excellent team and we we can't do what we're doing with without them so that when when they sign up to us they also sign up to them and i'm not available all the time for instance if you like what you're hearing so far please make sure to share this episode with colleagues you feel would benefit and while you're at it why not leave me a five-star review on the apple podcast or spotify app Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on the show. So in addition to that welcome sort of film to establish expectations, you've also recently been working on a sort of an information pack or welcome pack that you give to new clients as well, which is all part of this this ethos of making the process more transparent and establishing good expectations and you know making sure that the, the the client feels an included part of the process and all of that sort of stuff interested in terms of the process that you went through or maybe firstly you could sort of describe a little bit about that document that you worked on and what and what's kind of in there and what you focused on but then I'd also be interested in in terms of working with a copywriter and getting that sort of expert external feedback on how you were describing yourself previously? Well, initially, the idea was to have just this big welcoming pack that um, every new client will get and it will set the scene or set the rules they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing and things like that uh, and just really, really manage their expectation. First of all, Again, it introduces the team. So it has everyone's photo and sort of short bio. But then it goes through the whole process. So in, in London or in the UK, we tend to follow the RBA sort of work phases. Currently, about seven of them. And the key issue was to move away from our architectural language and big words and really continue with the same tone that we have on our website. We already had some a document that we used to send in the past with our fee proposal, which explained each each stage. At some point, we completely ditched it, and and now we don't we don't send it as part of the our fees. So that was the starting point. And because I'm not a great writer, and we all the whole team is busy being architects, it was a really good idea to get someone external, like like a copywriter. Uh, to help with that. Her name is Juliet Mitchell. She's based in, in London. We gave her uh, the kind of the base and she completely, she kind of rewrote it in a much friendlier language. And then we sort of packaged it nicely with, with images. So now it's a document that every new client gets. I mean, it, it's just been out for a couple of weeks. So I don't, I'm I'm yet to see how how people respond to it, but we send it together with our thank you email. But recently we've added it to our website, so you can actually download it. And I think it it can be a useful 
document also for potential clients because rather than kind of waiting for them to say yes, why don't just hit them with it? And it can be a really nice addition that would work together with, with the video. So I think the video just shows us, shows them who we are, but then the document sort of dives into the, uh, the whole journey. And, and we do call it a, a journey because it's quite long. It's very personal, especially on, on private projects. So yeah, that, that was kind of our, our intention behind it. Yeah. And it's pretty, it's a pretty simple tool for your practice to use. And that video, and I guess this ties to an overall question, but that video has a really clear target audience in mind, right? Your ideal residential client, generally speaking, and a lot of your marketing tactics are focused towards residential clients. And that's the bulk of the work that you do. But I meet lots of architects who are really reluctant to try a strategy that isn't applicable to all groups. Whereas you've made your homepage about residential clients, you've, you know, you're speaking to residential clients a lot through your Instagram, you're making that welcome video. It's all very, very nicely tailored towards that audience. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on overall positioning of the practice and your view of having the residential focus. But does that still leave options open for you in terms of other work later on down the road? Look, I think the private residential will always be there. It is our bread and butter, but it's more of it. We really enjoy it. We're certainly kind of moving within it, maybe kind of larger projects, uh, larger budgets and hence our, our fees, which is great. We do want to explore other sectors. And I think that actually by really focusing on one sector that you're good at and and pushing hard on the marketing and the business development, ultimately that can positively influence the report with, with other sectors. And and I have an example through LinkedIn that suddenly surfaced i can't say much about it but he's a kind of a developer he's now involved on with a sort of a charitable project and he i guess came to us or considered us because part of that charitable project is looking at sort of london sort of domestic stock of of houses to 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 reuse them in a, in a in a special in a special way so it's actually our experience in domestic projects and and success in that has led him to think of us for this for this project which could mean developing loads of houses in london so this can definitely be a ticket for us into that more kind of social projects or kind of development projects so i wouldn't I think the danger is if you think, oh, may, I shouldn't do this, I need to do that. And it, you kind of, you're in the danger that in the end you don't do anything and you kind of fall between, between the seats. And, and maybe it's, it's this part of this kind of mindset that, that you need to have. You, you, you need to focus on, on something. And I think any, anything that you do could always lead to something else. But it's, it's important to, to focus on something. I think it's, it's kind of going back to really thinking who, who you are, who, who you want to be. Why do you get up in the morning to do what you do? And this would really help you focus your marketing um, and, and, and everything else that, that falls, falls into it. Yeah, interesting. So, we, we've, 
we've covered so many different initiatives, marketing experiments that you've run over time. And there's one more that I want to kind of look at, which is the the feasibility study service that you offer through your website as well. Because we spoke earlier about the design surgery as this fairly short 30-minute consultation on any subject for raising money for charity. But after developing that, you then developed the feasibility study as well and began offering that. So it'd be cool to talk about that a little bit as well, just to get an idea of how you're also experimenting with the typical architectural model as well and, and, and what that fee structure looks like. Okay. So, yes. So I guess when a potential client is considering us, he has three avenues to explore. He can come to us directly, ask for a fee proposal. We would meet with them and kind of produce the fee and hopefully they'll appoint us. Another one is through this design consultation online, which we discussed earlier. And then third avenue is uh, a feasibility study. So this is perhaps for, we, we, we're marketing it for clients that maybe already have a brief. They have various ideas. They have not perhaps are settled yet on commissioning ar an architect. They want to explore various options, but they want information about potential costs, planning issues with, with local uh, councils, but also look, look at the design in, in a bit more detail. And we, we describe it as, as a way for the clients also to get to know us and whether they want to, to continue working with us. So although, as, as we all know, architectural contracts, you can, you can break them, but I guess just allowing this, this extra sort of service, which is kind of non-binding, non they do get a quite a detailed kind of document in, in, in the end. So we have a fixed uh, fee for it. People paid in, in, in advance, and then we spend about two weeks on it. We do various layout options. If it's a project that requires planning, we've teamed up with our planning consultants, and they either offer a high-level overview or something a bit in depth. And we also look at, at the cost of it. So we use quite a clever software called uh, Build Partner. It's a new startup in the UK by QSs, and it allows you early on to just input kind of sizes of rooms or sizes of extensions. And it will click a button, it kind of tells you how much it's all going to cost based on standard sort of materials or sort of assumptions. But as, as a, as an, at this sort of early stage, it's, it's a, a good tool to have and it just gives us a bit more credibility, I would say. And then we kind of package it all, all nicely and, and, and give it to the client. So, so far, I think we had four uh, of these commissions. One converted, they, they, they were really happy with with what we've produced and then decided to commission us. And that's a sort of a live project. So in a way, this sort of feasibility phys study, I guess we do anyway. So it, it is part of, of the early stages of the brief or the concept development. So once a client then commissions us, it's a natural progression in, into the next stages. And, and what we do is then we deduct uh, our fee of that for that service off of the the overall fees because we've already kind of done all all this homework. So 
it's a great additional service to to generate work if it doesn't develop in, into a project. It's not the end of the world because we, we got paid for it. And what I'm learning from all these additional services rather than the, the traditional uh, route that most projects are procured through is that even if this visibility doesn't develop into a real project, it in, in itself is a great marketing tool because we've had a few instances where a client that we met online actually mentioned us to their friends and and, and we got a call so it, it it goes back to these this building of rapport and trust and i always think that architecture and our the service that we provide is the, the success of it is also a lot to do with chemistry and it's whether the client on the other side likes you or not and sometimes there's no chemistry, which is fine. And you need chemistry for to do great architecture. But you can, even by meeting someone and offering them advice, which they can use, and if you hit the right accord with them, that would, I think, automatically or naturally kind of allow them to kind of mention you to, the, to, to their friends and say, oh yeah, we were thinking about doing this thing. We met this great architect. He seemed really knowledgeable or, or, or useful, maybe you should, you should speak to him. And you, you can really see it on, on, on Facebook where I think in the past where you wanted a recommendation for Dummer or, or someone, you would call your, your family or kind of close friends, say, oh, who do, who do you use? Who's your plumber? And so on. Now, the fact that we're part of this, let's say, the London Mums and, Mums and Dads group, the fact that we, we're part of that virtual group, we all have the same maybe ambitions or there, there is something that kind of unites us. The fact that someone within that group recommends someone, that's already and kind of, they've, they've been vetted. It's an indication that that person is, is trustworthy and, and people do trust that, that, that judgment, which is, which is very interesting. And if you, I think if you really understand that 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 shift in society you can really kind of use that to your benefit and that's when all this digital marketing makes complete sense i think the digital marketing definitely gives you a sort of a wider net to throw and it allows you to explore different mediums and techniques and and really have fun with it I think it's it's a definitely a fun place to be. Yeah, and, and the comparison between traditional marketing and digital marketing, or maybe the traditional architectural media and things like that, you're not really at the at the whim of the gatekeepers and judges and editors and all those sorts of things. You're just out there, and there's all these online communities or in person communities, as you found with the with the farmers market, and um, the individuals in those communities have a lot of influence. And if you're generous with your time and you don't guard it to the point where you're completely shut off from the world, like I think some architects are, but you're willing to actually spend a bit of time with people and help help them and add value and make the process simple for them, then they go on and they become these sort of evangelists about your about your studio, don't they? And they go out there and they tell other people about it and all that sort of thing like you were describing. It is definitely online about giving, giving, giving. 
from your time showing empathy, showing who you are, building that rapport and trust, and that eventually that will allow you to take something back in return. And I guess that that sort of take is, in, in, in our case, is the commission or is the lead. Yeah, and anybody who's found any amount of success from digital marketing, it's only once you've actually had some success with it and tried your hand at it that you realize the ratio of giving to taking is like 90-10. I think there's sometimes a expectation from people who haven't tried it that you can turn up and do one nice social media post and that suddenly you deserve a bunch of work to come from that. But it's the the balance has to be heavily weighted towards the giving, right? Yeah, I'm 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 certainly guilty in that. that was my impression in the beginning that it would just take a few, few couple of months and then I'll start seeing the fruits. I think it took yes. probably three years or five years. Yeah. No, it, was, it definitely it took a long time. And it is it was frustrating at time. Yeah, you're spending all that time and I got criticized by my family and saying, Oh, you always you're on social media and yeah, it is it is time consuming, but I think the key is really to understand that you need to be in it for for the long run and and kind of invest and it, and it will pay off. And once we've hit our time limit, I think we need to finish up. Wow, we, we didn't we, we didn't think we could do it, but we did. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. And just sharing so generously about all the different strategies that have worked and are working for you at the moment. And I think there's a lot of new ideas for other practices uh, and different ways of looking at it that they can sort of try out and have a go at in their studio. Yeah, and anyone listening, I'm happy for people to reach out to me directly and kind of ask questions or comment or anything. So... Yeah, you can reach out through our Instagram. Maybe that's one good avenue or just through our website. Yeah, yeah thank, thanks but, a lot, Dave, for inviting me. No worries. Thank you. That was my conversation with Amos Goldrick from Amos Goldrick Architecture. If you'd like to learn more about Amos, you can visit agarchitecture.net or follow AG Architecture on Instagram. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.